And we are back, ladies and gentlemen, on ComedySchoolsRadio.com, this American Podcast Comedy Edition, coming to you live from the ComedySchools.com studios, high above Scottsdale at the corner of Goldwater and Camelback, the second coolest corner in all of Scottsdaleville, because the coolest corner in all of Scottsdaleville is near the corner of Scottsdale and Shea. And you know why it's the coolest corner? Because that's where the Scottsdale Laugh Factory is, Paul and Paul. Paul Rodriguez and Paul Hopp, our two good friends, have brought Jamie Masada's Laugh Factory to the Valley of the Sun, and we are fortunate, and I say that, I say that with no facetiousness, we are fortunate to have in studio with us right now this week's comedians at the Laugh Factory, Kevin Downey Jr. and Patrick DeGear. Welcome, gentlemen, to the studio. Thank you. Thanks for having us. You are welcome, man, and uh, we're glad to have you, and um, uh, we did our homework a little bit. And we found out that you both are uh, uh, just got out of prison, so we're excited <laughs> to see you here. And we uh, didn't meet there. You didn't meet there. No, you haven't got out of prison. We uh, we were actually looking at um, uh, some of your videos this morning on um, on on the YouTube and various other uh, channels. And Kevin, we saw uh, some of your set on America's Got Talent. So you um, you got uh, accolades, high praise from a man not known for giving high praise, Howard Stern. So what was that like? Was that like a big leap? Were you working like small clubs and then you're at Radio City? or? That's the way they make it seem. Yeah. Not that I... Well, here's the fun part. I signed something saying I wouldn't say anything about this. But here we go. Okay. Uh, you um, ba- Basically, they should call it America's Got Sob Stories because that's who goes further than other people. Um and I just, like, I was a happy guy, three pugs. And they were like, come on, we, we need something. Did you, do you have any cancer? No, I, I don't have cancer. Uh, my father <laughs> my father didn't beat me. I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, loads of fun. How You don't get too close to Howard Stern, but he was a great guy. He couldn't have been more, uh, just, just the nicest guy. When the cameras went down, he stood up, he clapped, and pointed at me. And now, which you didn't see because the cameras were off. But that was the highlight yeah. for the whole thing, yeah. And what about Howie? Uh, nice guy. He gave me a fist bump. He doesn't shake hands. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. That's right. He doesn't shake hands. He's a germaphobic. Yeah. He's got that, um, Howard Hughes, the aviator, richest man in the world disease. Kleenex box on his feet kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. He has a bad, too. Yeah, does he? I mean, I, uh, yeah, I was OCD for, I mean, I mean, I still am. It never really goes away, but not like that. Like, yeah. I, if I'm in New York, I won't hold the subway. I mean, that's just suicidal. You know, the whole, <laughs> you, you, you wrist it. Yeah. And, uh, coming out of a men's room. I can tell if there's an OCD working there because there'll be a garbage can right next to the door. Because you always you got to take a you know a, a, a napkin or something or a paper towel to dry your hands. Open the door with that. Yeah. And throw that in. Yeah. So if there's a garbage can by the door, there's an OCD working there. Promise. So what was your what was your sob story? Didn't have one. You didn't have one. That's why I didn't win. No. So you didn't win. I was, I was killed. I was killed off by dogs and kids. Uh, that's right. I went to uh, Radio City Music Hall, the first live round, and then. Killed off by uh, dogs and kids. I remember that. You know, I had a uh, I had a friend who did America's Got Talent. Um, I think the prior season, which was John Wing, and John Wing had he didn't have particularly have a sob story. So John's been a solid guy for decades. He has a great wife, kids. He has a solid career. You know, uh, like a lot of guys who were incredibly funny and still are incredibly funny. There was no sitcom for for him. So then it's you know the second phase, and and he's had a really solid second phase. 
Anyone America's got talent, and they made a, he, this is my last shot. I don't know what I'll do after this. It was fine. The week after, he was out working again. Yeah. I was on the season with him. They had me say that okay. stuff, too. They said, they, uh, all the all the bigwigs are British. So they put a camera in front of you. They say, uh, all right, mate, you need this. I need you to express that you need this. Uh, you, you've got nothing without this. So I'd go, hey, I'm Kevin Downey Jr. I need this. No, no, I need some <laughs> emotion. I go, my landlord needs me to win this. They're, no, no. And he's laughing, but he's like, you need to feel it, mate. You need to feel it or we can't use it. And I said, you know what? I had a career before. I'll have one after. Uh, I'm grateful to be here. I don't know what to tell you. I'm, I'm going to live. I'm not going to starve to death. Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be strange if every audition you went on that you had to do that? Like you're out to play like the second banana to the head mob guy and you got three lines and your lines are, I think we should kill him, Vinny. And they go, all right, we love the way you say that, but you got to tell us anything bad happened in your childhood. You go, no, I'm a trained actor. I've been going to American Academy for Dramatic Arts. Yeah, but just you, you need to tell us something, you know, oh, my yeah. mother never loved me. He yeah. gets the part. Uh -huh. Second bad guy. Three lines. <laughs> yep. So uh, uh, I want to talk to you more about that. You know, I was involved with a reality show uh, a few years back. Uh, it was a little tiny reality show where um, there was a guy, and it was the same kind of thing. It was an elderly guy from Sun City on his bucket list wanted to be a stand-up comic, and they sent him to me to learn how to be a stand-up comic. And at one point, I gave him an assignment, and the next week he came in, they set up all their cameras, and I go, all right, what did you do, Jack? And he goes, uh, I didn't do the assignment. I go, all right, no big deal. We'll continue on. They stop rolling. Producer pulls me around, you know, puts his arm, pulls me around the side of the, the building and puts his arm around my shoulder and goes, dude, he just dissed you like you're a punk. And I go, no, he didn't. He goes, no, he did. He goes, are you going to put up with that? Are you going to put up with this man? Disrespect? And I look at him and I go, listen, pal. I said, if you think you're going to get me to yell at an old man on what we hope is national television, you're out of your goddamn mind. I said, so I don't care about your show. I'm not going to look like a bad guy. He said, you're not paying me. So they do that. Absolutely. Yeah. And they and they did that with you, but you didn't have any... Nothing. Nothing. I went to the doctor. No, prostate's good. Sorry. Striking out there. Can you tell them you're like missing a foot or something? You know what? I thought about maybe... What if I just come in with no arm one day? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look what happened. Yeah. On the way here, I got mugged. They took my arm. Yeah. Or, or like contort your face and go, you'll never <laughs> move. Something. Go, listen, you know, because there's a couple extra bucks behind it if you're... Uh, it's like a Todd Browning movie now. It's like Freaks. We just want to see Freaks. Speaking of Freaks, I want to bring this guy in. <laughs> <laughs> I got a sob story. I got a loss of vision, man. Uh, you're hearing the voice of Patrick DeGear, who is uh, with Kevin Downey Jr. at the Laugh Factory this weekend. Two shows tonight, two shows tomorrow, one show Sunday. ScottsdaleLaughFactory.com. Patrick, how are you? I'm doing good. You doing good? I'm doing good, man. I, you know, I used to see you around town. Uh, you actually, uh, I was involved with uh, another club a number of years ago, almost 10. Uh, maybe not 10, maybe five or six. And uh, they brought you in and you headlined and you were very funny. And uh, um, and it's just good to see you back. What have you been doing the last few years? You know what? Just working the road. I mean, yeah? I've been doing this for 18 years and it's nice to be back in Phoenix. You know, I used to come out, out here quite a bit. Um, you did, yeah. Uh, but it's, it's, it's nice to be back. You know, but yeah. just working the road, grinding. No, what's unusual about both of you guys is um, um, you don't have any sob stories. But what's unusual about both of you guys is uh, that neither one of you live in Los Angeles. Okay, Kevin, do you need to get that? Kevin's phone is ringing, and I'm, I can see it. I turned the ringer off. I'm professional. Yeah. Isn't that weird? How now you can see you can see someone's <laughs> phone ringing instead of just hearing it. Uh, 
you uh, uh, you live in you live now, Kevin, in uh, in the Big Apple in New York City. Actually, I live in Long Island now. I you lived in uh, New York City for like twenty years, but got divorced, couldn't afford it. Yeah, so I went to Long Island. Does your wife still live in uh, Manhattan? Yeah. So she lives in Manhattan. Yeah, she she's the in the penthouse suite on Park <laughs> Avenue, and you are living uh, off the Mineola Station. You're living yep. in San Diego. Yep. Patrick lives in San Diego, and you are going through a life change as well. Yeah, divorce. D- divorce. Yeah, twenty years. Twenty years. So wow. okay. So I mean, is that like, is are you happy about this or? You know, I mean, it's not. It's it's it's. I, well, if you remember, Tony, I can't drive. I have a loss of vision. So, oh, okay. So my wife is the one that drives me. So I'm I'm trying to be as nice as possible because I can't get from point A to point B without her driving me at times. So now, what what's going to happen after the um, divorce? I guess Uber. Uh, Uber, which, which <laughs> Robert and I um, actually use to get out here. Uh-huh. And um, go out with a lot of open micers and, and and feed them stories of hopes and dreams. Show <laughs> <Yeah>. them <laughs> so an occasional punchline. They're yeah. grateful. I'll take you. Exactly. Exactly. That's gonna be tough if you like you're in San Diego, get a gig in Detroit, and you call an Uber and go, "Listen, I just need to get to Detroit <laughs> by Tuesday at eight o'clock. I got a gig uh-huh. at, at uh, Chuckling Joe's." So you're gonna have to work that out. Well, it's 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 unique because you, you know, I mean, the fact that I don't drive, I always relied on my wife, you know, to just to do pretty much all the driving. Yeah. Thankfully, my two older kids are now driving. So yeah. you know, hey, you know. What if you bought a crappy car and got the AAA Gold card because they'll tow you anywhere? Yeah, they will. They will. Yeah, yeah we we we've had it. I, I went I went through my um, my midlife crisis Porsche experience. Where I bought a used Porsche, and uh-huh. buying a used Porsche is like buying a boat. There's two great days in it: the day you buy it and the day you sell it. Because mm-hmm. that thing was always breaking down. It was always a thousand dollars a month. And we, uh, Shirley and I, were coming back from because uh, this is kind of rock and roll outlaws we are. We were coming back from a celebration for Woody Guthrie's 100th birthday <laughs> <laughs> in downtown Los Angeles one uh, Sunday afternoon, and uh, I was road racing people on the 10, doing 130, and blew up the engine in Blythe. And, uh, and that was a ten thousand dollar road rate, but it was always that. So we had the double platinum triple A card, and they would tow me sometimes one hundred and fifty miles. Yep. So you might want to get there, Patrick, and just say you broke down, idea. and they'll tow you. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a gig in Tempe. <laughs> you know who uh, always has to use a driver is? Uh, do you know Chris Fonseca? Yes, Crazy Legs. Crazy Legs, Chris Fonseca, uh, who just wrote me the other day. Do you know Chris Fonseca? Mm-mm. Very funny guy. Um, a man stricken with. Sir, uh, Double, double whammy for this guy. Cerebral palsy, and there was an, a, a terrible car accident maybe 20 years ago, which then even debilitated him even more. Funny man. Incredibly funny guy. And he always finds an opening act that he then goes, hey, you're really funny. Do you have a car? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's how uh, Russ Rivas used to own uh, Laughs and Albuquerque. Yeah, that's how his career started. It's the first three letters of career. Yeah. <laughs> C-A-R. <laughs> What is That's it? Uh, uh, my good friend David Tribble, who used to book more one-nighters than anybody in the United States, and they were all in the Pacific Northwest. Uh-huh. Do you know Dave? I know who he is. I've yeah. spoken with him. I've never worked for him. Yeah, he's a great guy. Um, guys would call him up and go, listen, uh, I'm just really funny, and Tony Visick and Doug Starks recommended me, and he goes, good, good, good. Do you have a car? Because that was, that was the requirement to be uh-huh. an opening act. <laughs> so, uh, all right, so Patrick, you're going to have to find somebody to drive me around. 
Yeah, you know, I get around though. Been doing this for 18 years. Just sort of find ways. Yeah. You know, you know hey, you know, and then the good thing is too, when you work the the comedy clubs, all you got to do is jump to the airport, jump on the plane, p- get picked up, and you're good. So, you know, it's it's the one nighters like what you said. Yeah. But, you yeah, know. it's getting between towns. So, Kev, you're out here from New York. Did you fly out here from New York? I did. And yeah. my mission. Everyone told me, oh, you're there. You got to go out to the desert. You got to look at this. You got to look at that. All these things you have to see. I want to see where Bob Crane got murdered. That's number one on my to-do list. It was in this very room, sir. Done. We we actually still have the shackles. (laughs) We have the we have we have the Bob Crane memorial ball gag. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, when uh, when we usually have like an opening act in, uh, uh, if there's like three comics to send the opening act, we just shove the ball gag in his mouth. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) 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 We have a lot of uh, we have a lot of uh, uh, that sort of history here in town, but. That you want, that you, Bob Crane, that, that's a good call. That's the one I want. That's a good call. It's 5.6 miles from uh, where, where I'm staying. You realize that in, in this day and age, by the way, did you go to where? No, Bob? not yet. I yeah. just got here uh, yesterday at like 3 4 o'clock. So before I leave, I will see where Bob Crane was murdered. Probably. I used to go to New York all the time uh, as a comic. I was a touring comic for 15 years. And then, uh, you know, as a producer and promoter and stuff, I, I often went there. And uh, for the last few years, I haven't been there in about three years, I used to stay at the Chelsea in Midtown. So I love the Chelsea because of the yeah. history. <laughs> and um, my goal when I first went to the Chelsea was to find the room where Sid killed Nancy. Yep. And they'll never tell you where it is. And I was actually on the elevator one time with a British guy. And he looks at me and he goes, do you know which room it was where Sid killed Nancy? And I said, um... And they've actually taken the number off the door. They don't even rent the room. Uh, and, and I said, well, no, um, I don't. I said, I don't think they let anyone know. You know, they, they don't want that. People all gathered there going in there. And he goes, yes, that, that makes sense. He goes, well, let's just be glad he did it, eh? <laughs> 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 so, uh, Patrick, do you have any uh, weirdness? Uh, like, I wanted to see where Sid no, killed Nancy. He wants to see where Bob Crane died. Um, Selena, when I was in Corpus Christi. Ah, yeah. yeah where yeah. she... Was she killed in a hotel? Yes. Or she was killed? Yes. Yeah. And they show you the actual room. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, you get to go in there. Well, someone was renting it out, but uh, it's like, yep, right there. So that, that was... They have, like, shrines and stuff. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So... Who, who, who's hold, Sid? Hold on one second. Oh. I'm going to have the room, hopefully, before we leave. Oh, is that what you're... Yeah. A friend of mine knows someone who lives in the Chelsea, and I was hanging out in this guy's apartment. It was beautiful. It was stunning. Oh, okay. It's, it's right... You know, right outside the window is the Chelsea Hotel sign. And I, you know, I'm standing there with my cocktail going, this is the coolest place I've ever seen. I, I love it here. He goes, you ready to puke? I go, yeah. He goes, Janis Joplin lived here. I was like, <laughs> it's I true. almost puked. Not only that, there was one time uh, I would go there. Uh, I was running a, a promotion uh, with uh, uh, Gotham. And Gotham is like two doors down, Gotham Comedy Club. Mm-hmm. And we actually stayed in the suite where Janis used to stay, supposedly where she wrote uh, with Christopherson, uh, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? It's it's one of the coolest hotels in the world, going all the way back to the 1800s. Um, uh, great playwrights wrote plays there. Movies were written there. The Grateful Dead played a concert on the rooftop of the place once. Who's Sid? Sid Vicious from the Sex Pistols. Ah, yeah, Sid and Nancy. Who's Sid? Nina, that's a very. <laughs> it's it's like he's from New York, isn't it, Kevin? Like, uh, who's Sid? You sound. <laughs> You said Sid Romero killing Nancy Drew. You sound like you sound like an agent who's interviewing a band. Which one of you is Sid? Which one is Pink? 
<laughs> we think you'll be a wonderful big hit band. Which one of you is Mr. Floyd? May we ask you, which one of you is Mr. Floyd? So, Patrick, you've been doing it for 18 years. Yeah. Okay, and where did you start? San Diego. You started in San Diego. Sa- San Diego, been been working the road and, you know, from the very beginning and, you know. I mean, comedy store, Sunday night, uh, open mic at the oh comedy yeah. store. Yeah. Oh, um, now now we got a couple of comedy clubs out there. We got the American Comedy Company. The American uh, Comedy Company. And the Madhouse Comedy Club. So we got a couple comedy clubs out there now. Um, we got the Comedy Palace and we got the Madhouse. I mean, uh, the, the, the comedy Does Fourth and B four. still do comedy down there? No. My gosh, that was a great venue. Was that, that a great was venue? A, oh, my gosh. Thousands would come out there. But no, that, that, that whole place. 1,500 people would come out to see you. You would be paid 150 bucks. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, they actually uh, Fourth and Bees is a concert venue in San Diego, very cool venue where they do a lot of bands and and also I think midget mud wrestling and you know if you if you own one of those places you go you're booking anything. But on off nights yes. they would do stand up comedy and I think it was free. Yes. But it would fill up, It'd be oh. like fifteen hundred people. Yes. And um, I had a car blow up on the way to on that gig one time. Boy, you and your cars. <laughs> I was on the road for a long time, man. <laughs> so Kevin, so you started in San Diego and yeah. you did the comedy store when you were you around when. Um, it's probably before you that the San Diego Improv probably shut down. Yeah, but then they, they opened up, remember? They, they opened up in the gas lamp quarter for a while. For they, a little they, while. For, for the improv. Mark uh, Anderson tried to do like a clean comedy thing there. Yeah, and then from what I understand, though, it might be coming back um, in the Mission Valley, Fashion Valley area. Well, so. it's good to know that uh, they're still opening more comedy clubs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kev, where did you start? Tell us about how you started. I moved to New York City to take acting lessons. Hated it. Because I just wanted to be Steve Martin, and they were teaching me. In this, in this, in this session, you're a candle, and you're going to spend the next 15 minutes melting. And I thought, this <laughs> is the dumbest thing in the world. Where did you go to, where did you go to acting school? Uh, Herbert Berghoff Studios in the village. Yeah, okay. Uh, banged out, I think, maybe half a semester there and said, this is dumb, not what I want to do. But the, 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 probably the first night I got an apartment there, I went walking around, and I walked past a comic strip. And it was sure. on a Tuesday. I thought, well, I want to see stand-up comedy. That'll be great. And the the late night, not even getting paid, the late night spots that night were Adam Sandler, Chris Rock, and Ellen DeGeneres. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, man, I want to do this. It took, it took like three years to get the Stones to do it, but I was done with acting, or at least that sort of acting class. I've taken, you know, the audition classes and whatnot. Sure. That whatever, whatever Ray Romano took, everyone in New York City, every comic went to that class when he got his show. Yeah. So you know, Joanna Beckson taught him, and you know she just made a zillion dollars off of Ray. Sure. Um, so I just started doing open mics in New York City. And that's so. And there's a lot. At one time, I think I, I think I knew um, that there were 26 comedy clubs on the island of Manhattan. So there was always a lot of uh, guys could just run around. Yep. Louis C.K. said he bought a motorcycle so that he could quickly get between club to club. That's why he bought a motorcycle. I actually looked at a scooter. Yeah. So I could do that too. Yep. But I. When I, when I lived in Michigan, I got hit on a scooter and thought, you know what? I don't want to get hit on another scooter in New York City. No. They no. won't even stop for you. They don't want you to do that. Yeah. Um, so you started out just doing open mic nights, and then how long before you started getting, like, gigs? Mm-mm-mm. I would say probably probably took, like, three years to get a $25 spot somewhere. Yeah? Yeah. There's just so bucks. many comics. Yeah. So many. And you got to leave New York to make any money. I mean, if I, if you do a spot in Manhattan tonight, you're going to make twenty bucks, maybe yeah. twenty five. Mm-hmm. Twenty five bucks is what you're going to get. Yeah, 
Uh, weekends is going to be seventy five. Tough bucks. to live on in Manhattan on twenty five bucks. You can't. I think the last comic to make a living and not leave New York City was David Tell before he was famous. Yeah, he was in at every club, so he would do four a night, five a night. And yeah. on weekends, you know, he'd be getting 75 bucks a show or whatever yeah. and just rack them up. And in the village, there were probably three plays. You didn't have to get in a cab. You could just walk from this one to that one to this one to that one and just bang them out. You could, I think the record is 11. You know a guy named Scott Bruce? He did 11 shows yeah. in one night, counting prom shows, which I don't know if they do that anywhere else but New York. Horrible prom shows at 1 a.m. where they bring kids in and... It's kind of a New York thing. It, yeah. There's other cities that do. Does the Bitter End still do a comedy night, or is the Bitter End still there? I think it's still there, but they're not doing comedy. But yeah. they're surrounded by people doing comedy. That's uh, way back a long time ago. I used to go to New York uh, way back, like in the 80s, and I would stay. Uh, I stayed back then. I would stay at the Carter Hotel on 49th, which was a fine establishment in Times Square. Mm-hmm. If you were a crackhead or a prostitute, yeah, uh, or a comic. Uh, and it was like 45 bucks a night, which was ungodly expensive then. But we made a living by going over to uh, New Jersey. Yeah. So uh, it was the oddest experience. I get to New York. I'm kind of green. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm kind of in over my head. Booking agent goes, all right, you're going to be working here and here and here. I didn't know where they were. He goes, just be in front of, and he'd say, a comedy club, either Dangerfields or the Improv at 6 o'clock. And I go stand there, and after a while, some other comic, some other guys, creepy-looking dudes like me, would show up and everybody's standing around smoking cigarettes and then cars would pull up and go, uh, I need uh, uh, Johnny Johnson yep. for Willie's West Side. I need Tony Vizic for uh, for uh, uh, the Thunderdome. Yep. And uh, uh, and you would and I got in a car and they drove me to New Jersey and I told jokes and they handed me money. Nobody talked to me or said anything. No. And uh, then they drive me back and dump me off. Yep. And then I would run around and either try to get on or get on in clubs uh, throughout the city. It was a marvelous experience. Great place to start. Mm-hmm. Great place to start. McDougal Street has three clubs. You can just go from one to the next to the next. And, wow. And just never leave one street. Is the village still the village? Does it still have its unique vibe? Or is Absolutely. It? Yeah. Some parts more than others. But the, uh, the thing about New York, especially uh, below 14th Street, is a lot of the grit is gone. You yeah. Know? A lot of it is big money. Yeah. Uh, NYU has taken over every building they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just there's a little grit, but not what it was, you know, 20 years ago. Obviously, it's it's just getting gritless. The greatest show <laughs> in the village back in the 80s was at noon on Wednesdays in a basement. It was a Narcotics Anonymous meeting, and um, um, I've been clean and sober for 30 years. But I would go to this meeting. And, and there would be fist fights in the back and people fucking in the back and sometimes in the front and the speaker would be talking and people would be shooting up and other people trying to get sober too. And it was just the coolest, even if you weren't uh, an addict, this was the show. This was, this was the true essence of the counterculture in New York at the time. So that was the best show in town. I don't know if that meeting's there anymore or if they're charging for it now. Um, did, you, did you remember seeing Colin Quinn there? Well, I met Colin, yeah. He, I met Colin in Los Angeles, though. All right, he has a great story about the... Did you hear about the... I mean, it's his no, story, I don't know it's not story. mine. Go okay, he, he wants to audition at the Improv. So he gets there early, because you got to stand in line, and he gets tanked up, and he passes out, and the cops come and go, hey, what do you do? Let's go. Take him off to jail. And he wakes up, and uh, he says, oh, you know, I'm a comic. And I was... Uh, they go, all right, do some jokes. And <laughs> he's never done comedy before, and he's horrible. And they go, "You're not a, com- you're just, you're just BSing us. You know, back in the can, get back in there." <laughs> so he didn't audition the night he wanted to. <laughs> His life has gone a little better since yeah. then. You wouldn't know it by his demeanor. 
Yeah. By his demeanor, it's still gone poorly, but it's actually gone well. Let me ask you this. This is uh, something I like to ask comics. I mean, when you have the self-awareness of the fact that people are giving you money to tell jokes or make them laugh. Some comics nowadays don't like the term tell jokes, although that's what you're doing. Uh, when you have the self-awareness of that, uh, it seems like oftentimes a lot of the the uh, uh, the depression and anger and, and resentment should go by the wayside, but it doesn't. You know, it's like Colin Quinn should, all of us should wake up every day if you're making a buck telling jokes and just be incredibly happy by it, which might destroy your career, the happiness. But what's your take on all of that? You know what? I would say most comics don't get it, and I'm the guy. I've been doing it 26 years. You want to touch? These hands don't don't work. You can touch okay. them if you want. They're ridiculously soft. Yeah. Uh, my parents worked. You in just touched my wife's hand. Factories. I want to point it out. <laughs> she touched mine. Okay. Um, my parents got the ball gag. <laughs> my parents worked in factories in Detroit. I yeah. would come home like my mother would just come home with you know, blood and what happened? Oh, I got to go to the doctor. It just, yeah. I just never did that, and. The, I had a day job in New York for 17 years, and when when I was just doing comedy, I started to gripe about something. My brother goes, ah, bah, 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 bah. "You're not babysitting idiots at a day job. You're not building engines. Shut up." Yeah, and I've never complained since. Yeah, yeah. So you, I was right earlier when I said you were from Detroit. Yeah, I did do it because then you said I, I'm from New York because you. But you've lived in New York since what? Since you were a kid? Since or? Eight, no, eight, when I was 20, I moved there when I was 20. I'm 49 now. All right, okay. So I moved to Los Angeles in the late 70s to be a. Country and Western Outlaw, rock and roll, singing movie star. Mm-hmm. But, from where? Uh, from St. Louis. Oh, okay. So I, I kind of, I used to work Detroit all the time for uh, uh, John Yoder. Yeah. And, uh, when the Hargis boys had chaplains, mm-hmm. you know, and of course uh, the wonderful, very nice man Mark Ridley. Yeah. As the comedy castle. castle. Yeah, comedy castle. So yeah, so we both kind of came out of the Midwest, and then when there's got to be something, you know what it was? Uh, tell me if you if you uh, agree with this. So I'm a little bit older than you, but we're both kind of of that same generation that what our fathers were able to do to sustain a good life, which was going to a place and pick up big heavy stuff all day, mm-hmm. and they were able to somehow buy a house and raise several kids and support a wife, that that was really going by the wayside for us. Yeah. So where St. Louis, my old man, when I was a kid, we had a house in the city and he had three sons and he would take, uh, he'd either walk or take a, a bus to work. And we all ate. Nobody knew we were. That was gone. That was gone. So the the Detroit that you grew up in, the St. Louis I grew up in, was gone for us because those jobs weren't there. Right. So there was no. You you almost couldn't stay there if you wanted to make a better life. No, absolutely not. I have two cousins. Their dad got them in at Ford, like right under the gun. Yeah. Right under the gun. And now you you can't you can't get a job at Ford. You can't get that union assembly line job. It's just not there. No, I grew up, uh, my old man moved, my, my old man, my father moved us to the country when I was like 10 from the inner city. And I said, I grew up in a place where uh, Jefferson County and the Jefferson County dream was to work at Chrysler, ride a Harley and sleep with a Welch girl. So uh, <laughs> there were all these cousins. So, uh, and, but then once the Chrysler job was gone, the Welch girl stopped sleeping with anyone and you couldn't afford the Harley. And there was just no point in being there now. Nope, absolutely yeah. not. I know a guy who's following his job around the country, works for GM. And he's he went from Wisconsin to uh, Minnesota, and now he's somewhere west. I got to find out exactly where he is. But the job just that one's not there anymore, buddy. But you know he's got so much seniority that you know, we're not going to let you go yet. We've got this thing, but you got to move your family across. Sure. Like, so he does it because what else is there? You know, so typical of what happened was uh, where I lived in uh, uh, the San Fernando Valley for many years. 
in an area called Panorama City, which is kind of a, um, a distressed area, a distressed part of the valley. Uh, still, it's the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles. There's a, there's a, a lifestyle mall, you know, a bunch of stores called The Plant. And it's, I want to say it's off of Van Nuys Boulevard. It's called The Plant, and there's a movie theater there and a Quiznos. And, it's, and the reason it's called The Plant because they used to be where the Corvette plant was. Where they built, that's where every Corvette in America was built, was at that plant. And they shut it down, and they tore it down, and it's replaced by fast food places and, and movie theaters. So, yep. so the landscape's changing. I want to talk to you guys more about that, and I want to talk to you about the Pope and talk about all things comedy and tell people how they can get uh, some complimentary tickets to see uh, you guys uh, at the Laugh Factory tonight. Two shows, 8 and 10. Saturday, two shows, 8 and 10. Sunday, one show at 7. ScottsdaleLaughFactory.com. I'm Tony Visick. This is This American Podcast, Comedy Edition. We will be back with you in a couple of minutes.